This is the ninth edition of the Free City Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. On this program, I'm going to be featuring voices from Minnesota. Uh, In the wake of the police killing of George Floyd, there have been massive protests, um, of course, in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, but of course, across the world, including here in Montreal. Um, In the days after a white police officer killed uh, George Floyd, um, there was major protests um, in uh, Minnesota, in uh, Minneapolis, and I thought it would be really important to hear directly from some community organizers uh, on the ground in Minnesota to hear both from people who are organizing the protests on the streets and also from people who were organizing and advocating uh, for justice in the case of George Floyd. The day after I called a community organizer in Minneapolis, uh, Shilani Hussein, uh, who is uh, one of the coordinators of the Council on American Islamic Relations in Minnesota. Of course, the um, Somali-American community in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, is significant and have been organizing for justice for immigrant rights uh, in opposition to anti-black racism and against police violence and killings uh, in Minnesota. Um, Jelani Hussein and the Council on American-Islamic Relations in Minnesota were one of the organizers of the first protest in response to the killing of George Floyd. So I wanted to share this uh, exchange with Jelani. Hey, Stefan, how are you doing? I'm okay. Uh, how are you? Uh, as best as we could be right now. Wow. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe just to start... Um, could you introduce yourself and just share a bit with us about your organization? Yes, um, my name is uh, Jaylani Hussein. I'm the executive director of uh, the Council on American Islamic Relations chapter in, in Minnesota, um, Minnesota chapter. Thanks, Jaylani. Um, so, your organization, am- amongst many others. Um, in Minneapolis has been uh, calling for justice, uh, has been uh, on the streets, um, and also calling for legal repercussions uh, around uh, the killing of George Floyd. Um, Can you please uh, share with us some of the key issues that you would like to see addressed right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, the demand right now has been um, to arrest all four of these officers um, and pending full charges, uh, which is uh, a legal practice that can be done. Um, and for these charges to be come swiftly, uh, there is enough video evidence, there's enough information uh, to, to determine uh, charges. Um, The fact that police officers, uh, when they are charged, is different, um, is is part of the problem uh, that we are facing in this country, Um, that police officers uh, can carry a weapon and kill people uh, and and, and still get away with it. Um, And so, uh, you know, the community is really uh, in pain right now. 
uh, you're seeing the, the, the amount of pain being manifested in multiple ways. Um, you know, we do not uh, accept or, 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 or allow, or we condone all types of violence that's happening right now. But at this moment right now, the anger, the frustration, um, and, and, and just the reality that this is not an isolated incident. Um, this has been happening for far too long, too many places. And Minneapolis has a, a long list of uh, deadly force killings by police, by the Minneapolis police, um, you know. And so we demand that justice is, is, is brought to Mr. Floyd and his family. And that means starting at the beginning with arresting all four officers. Um, you can do a whole charge uh, for, for I think 36 hours, uh, and then bring the, the full charge, uh, and then offer them no bail. Uh, this is something that the legal, that, that it, that is done for other criminals. Uh, and the police should not be above the law. They should be, uh, as anyone else guilty of their crime. And, and, and in this heinous way that they've killed George Floyd, they deserve no bail. Uh, and they deserve the worst form of punishment possible. So, um, the video, the evidence of what happened to George Floyd has been repeated on all the major television networks in the United States um, again and again. Um, this is uh, information that is out there in public. Um, what is not out there is, you know, something you pointed to, which is the systemic nature of this issue of uh, police violence, police violence and killings targeting the black community. Um, so I'm just wondering if you could speak a bit more about how you see this as um, pointing to larger systemic issues and also what that means for from your perspective, representing the Council on American Islamic Relations? Uh, so, you know, we are a civil rights organization that predominantly advocates for issues around Muslims and, uh, and minorities. Uh, we have been outspoken on, on many civil rights issues. And, uh, um, you know, we, we, we see this, um, this issue of police brutality, uh, you know, even much more apparent now um you know there was an incident just uh just you know last year uh involving a young muslim man um who was killed isaac aden uh we have seen uh philando castillo uh who also uh was killed by police um jamar clark uh you know the the name the lists are very long in minnesota uh of individuals who've been killed by police uh, and the excuse always is that they were startled or this or that. Um, and the reality is there's also still this, you know, discrepancy of which police officers are also charged. So there was an, a case in Minnesota where um, uh, a white woman, uh, Justine Diamond, was killed by a black officer, uh, an immigrant black officer. Uh, and now he's facing 12 years of prison. He was charged uh, with murder which usually doesn't happen, but he was charged with murder. And now he's facing 12 and a half years, I believe. Uh, so, you know, uh, but when it comes to white officers killing black men, 
uh, Minnesota has yet to charge anybody for anything. Uh, and we are already seeing yesterday at a press conference the, uh, the Hennepin County prosecutor making excuses by saying the facts are not all in, he doesn't know everything. Um, and it's just, it's just the nature of this is what, this is what they do. Um, and, and the reality for most people um, who are listening is that the, the entire system is, is, is working together. The police department brings these cases to the prosecutor. So this is a working team. And when one of their individuals um, uh, commits a crime, usually uh, that bias, that implicit bias, and, and you know, plays a big role. Uh, that's why we feel, and we have been calling, and we're going to continue to call the governor of the state of Minnesota uh, to hire a, a, pri a private or you know uh, uh, another prosecutor, a special prosecutor. Uh, the the laws of the yeah. state allow him to do that uh, to to hire a, a special prosecutor uh, to uh, to look at this case and and to expedite the process because. And that's the, that's the challenge. You know, when you, when you have uh, the same group of people uh, interacting in that manner and then one of them gets caught, the, they always get the sweetheart deal. And in most cases, no charges. Uh, they, they dance around the legal language. Uh, but as you could see, you know, uh, there is a systematic uh, pattern. Uh, it starts with the great deal of, uh, you know, um, jurisdiction and discretion that is allowed for police officers to arrest who they can. Um, and then it goes into the prosecutor who usually uh, then uh, harshly targets people of color. And that's why today we see a disproportionate uh, jailing of black men in this country. Um, and it's, it's just, it's a system that starts with the police and ends with the prosecutor. Um, and this is a sad case, but this mass incarceration is, is the worst in the world here in the United States. Um, and I think that's, you know, in, in, in all efforts, it's also how the police are deployed. Um, as, as we know right now, 94% of the Minneapolis police force does not live in Minneapolis. Um, the, the, I, I'm not sure of the racial background, but it's, it's not uh, equivalent of the yeah. city's uh, population. Um, and so uh, there is a great deal of bias. Uh, and we also know that officers uh, have stood uh, with President Trump, the union leader uh, for the police department, um, has already come out in defense of these officers. Uh, it's interesting. He came out in defense of these officers, but he did not come out in defense of a black officer who shot the white, uh, a white woman. Uh, just to let you know that that's, I mean, it's just clear to see how race plays such a powerful way in, in these cases uh, when they happen and after they happen. Um, but I think, I think that I think people are starting to wake up um, and, and, and I think George Floyd's death will not be in vain. We hope that uh, we fight, we'll fight for justice and we will, uh, radically change how policing is conducted uh, in a more meaningful way than just body cameras and, you know, uh, internal trainings. We really need to really change um, the way police are held accountable. 
Um, and I think they should be charged even much more harshly than an average citizen uh, because of the responsibilities given to them. Uh, and, and, and which is in this case, you know, uh, you know, uh, the citizens could not interrupt them as they were killing a human being because of the power that has been given to them. So the United States has a very unique situation right now in terms of politicians. I mean, you're in Minnesota, which has such a range uh, in the Democratic Party. There's politicians like Ilhan Omar, who um, are speaking out about systemic racism, both against uh, the black community and also against the Muslim community. Uh, in contrast, within the Democratic Party, you have uh, career politicians like Amy Klobuchar, um, presidential, well, former presidential candidate. Um, can you can you talk a bit about the responsibility of the political class to respond to this uh, this killing of George Floyd? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I mean, I, I I really believe there's a political failure and a political bankruptcy when it comes to uh, this issue of uh, criminal justice. Uh, we we know. <clears throat> Politics plays a big role, and po politicians know very well that the uproar and the and the you know the the the, the initial wave of uproar uh, can be usually sustained for a couple of weeks, and after that they know that they don't have to really address these issues, and that's that's sadly what has, has happened. You know, as as these cases come up, you know they are in the news cycle for two weeks roughly. And then that's it. And, and politicians know that. So they, they time their talks and, and, and statements uh, in those first two weeks. And then after that, uh, they really don't dig in and really make solutions. So it's really up to the people and the people who have elected these leaders to bring leaders that are running on the idea that they're going to make their communities better and safer with better policies, uh, particularly in the criminal justice system. The system is outdated. Um, and right now, the police departments across this country are, are focused on defending themselves and not reforming themselves. Um, and that's the case. I mean, you, you, can't, you cannot pass by now, and you will see this on social media for the next few months. You will see police officers passing ice creams to kids just to make us feel better about them, not realizing the amount of hurt and, and damage they continue to cause in communities of color across this country. Um, and, and, and this is a system. It's not just the police. Uh, there's economic challenges in, in poor neighborhoods across this country uh, that today you see the difference between the bailouts uh, for uh, during the COVID-19 uh, crisis right now and pandemic. Uh, you see that, um, you know, uh, uh, companies being bailed out, but not the, not the workers, not the employees, not the poor people in this country. Uh, so, you know, we, we have to recognize all of the forces that are acting, that are leading to what we're seeing today. Um, but, you know, this op one of the officers who, the officer who I believe had his neck on uh, uh, Mr. George Floyd, um, actually was involved in many other incidents. Um, but again, police officers usually um, are uh, believed more than the citizens. Um, and so one of the challenges that has to happen is a better system for investigating officers 
who are involved in these types of crisis. And so um, I, I think politicians have failed us. Uh, we are in this position right now because of their failure. Uh, they refuse to address these issues from a systematic perspective. Uh, but I think people are going to wake up and, and hopefully we will elect leaders that are, that are interested in solving the problem, not speaking on the problem. Uh, thanks so much, Shalani. I'm wondering if you could share with us what your friends are telling you uh, in the community. Uh, what are they texting you? Um, how has um, how has there been their participation in the protests uh, for justice in the case of George Floyd? Well, it's it's been pretty odd. I, you know, I've been I've been out there now um, every day in different areas, and uh, you know, as a community leader, people are have reached out to me, and and I've been you know, connecting with them. And, and it's, it's pretty awkward, actually. I, I've noticed I, I show up to someone and, and we just look at each other with a long stare and we don't know what to say. I mean, right now, we're just really so shocked. We're so shocked to see someone killed uh, by four officers in an eight-minute video where he's, you know, he's gasping for air and asking for them to get off of him um, until he becomes motionless and dies. I mean, you know, we're just, we don't, we don't know what to say right now. Uh, we're speechless. We're shocked. We're really in pain. Uh, and then adding to that pain, our city is on fire right now. Buildings are on fire. Um, you know, we, we, we know that this pain has been there. Um, it's been there with all of the other victims of police brutality that are now every other month or every three months seeing a similarly case uh, uh, involving police officers uh, shooting most cases. Um, and so I think right now the mood is really just, we're shocked. Um, we're loss of words and, and people are not, our people are, are just completely, you know, unsatisfied with the leadership's response. And, and yesterday was telling when, when the prosecutors, like we still are figuring things out and, you know, there's evidence, he's, as he said, there's evidence to point out that, you know, that we can't charge because there's other evidence, you know, so it just, it just, it, it's unfortunate uh, time for us uh, because this pandemic also is killing people and, and we know how horrible this pandemic is and the impact that it's having on poor, uh, poor neighborhoods and, and people of color uh, and the people who are coming out protesting are right now people of color. And so, it's a really challenging time for all of us. Uh, but again, at the same time, you know, we, we don't know when this change is going to come, but we're going to demand for it and, and we're not going to give up. And hopefully more people have joined in the fight uh, for change uh, uh, regretfully under, under these circumstances and under this tragedy and the loss of, a, of an innocent man. Uh, Jelani, thank you so much uh, for speaking with us. I, I guess just briefly, one last point. I, I'm looking at some photos of the protests from yesterday, um, and there's a um, very big gathering in downtown Minneapolis. I see people standing at social distancing. Um, there's a lot of different signs. Um, there's uh, Muslim women, uh, black Muslim women from Minneapolis uh, holding a a uh, large uh, placard with um, George Floyd's uh, face. Um, I, I, it's, this was the protest during the day. 
Uh, I'm just wondering if you could describe this, that scene for us, how it was. Well, well, first of all, you know, uh, a lot of the protests have not been organized. Um, and and for I'm, I'm proud of the efforts that uh, our partnering organizations and us, we, we, we held a very peaceful uh, and well-organized protest. We had uh, roughly about, you know, a large number of uh, our safety marshals that we we assigned to help with the with the march and uh, uh, and as you can see the people grew you know uh, you could you know in the crowd you could see people from all walks of life uh, young old um, you know um, um, in all shades of color um, I and, can see the photos and, and could, yeah yeah and I could just you know tell that we were all in the same mood um, you know in pain some with tears rolling their eyes. Uh, you know, others, uh, you know, really angry. Um, but we kept it peaceful and uh, we marched in downtown uh, right in the government center where these decisions are made. Um, and um, and I think uh, at least, at least 5,000 people came out uh, that wow. we could tell. Uh, and it kept growing. You know, we, we ended at around 7 and 7.30, but uh, it continued to grow and more people came, joined and 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 those protests uh, ended peacefully last night. So, you know, I, I, I people are angry. They're going to continue to fill the streets. Um, we've demanded for these people to be in jail, and and we think once they're all in jail and they're granted no bail, uh, we believe that uh, we can start the process of healing and moving forward and and thinking about ways to continue reform um, polices in this country. Jelani, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. No problem. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Have a good day. Bye. Bye-bye. That was an interview with Jelani Hussein, uh, who is a community organizer at the Council on American Islamic Relations in Minnesota, speaking on the um, response, the protests that took place right after the killing of George Floyd and, of course, the Council on American Islamic Relations in Minnesota remains very active and organized in calling for justice in the case of George Floyd, but also in the struggle against racism and police killings. For music on the podcast today, I'm going to feature a piece by uh, Damon Davis, uh, who is an artist and community organizer in St. Louis. Um, Damon has been a really important artist in the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, his work is just awesome. Uh, this is from his album, Darker Gods.
thousand pairs of eyes that can't see me. A thousand miles of time we can't reach me. But I'm gonna show you how to fly free. 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 A thousand pairs of eyes that can't see me. A thousand miles of time we can't reach me. A thousand pairs of eyes that can't see me. A thousand miles of time we can't reach me. But I'm gonna show you how to fly free. 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 you to check out Damon's work. Um, you can find information on this album and in general about what Damon does through the page heartacheandpaint.com. Next on the broadcast here on Free City Radio, I'm going to be playing uh, an exchange I had with an organizer in Minnesota um, from the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, that is Julio Salaya. Uh, who has been active in fighting racism and uh, calling for justice in the case of George Floyd, but has been a community organizer for some time in Minnesota. Um, I think this exchange is is important uh, and interesting because it talks about the demands of the family of George Floyd, but also the organizing that took place to force uh, more serious charges on the police officers involved in the killing of George Floyd. So here's Julio Zelaya from the ACLU. I'm on the line with Julio Zelaya, who works with the uh, American Civil Liberties Union um, in um, Minnesota. Of course, uh, over the last week in Minnesota, there's been calls for justice in the case of George Floyd. Um, the police killing of an unarmed African-American in Minneapolis. Um, This issue brings up uh, a lot of calls for justice um, and against uh, structural racism in the United States um, that are not new. The ACLU has partnered with many community organizations for years to attempt to address these issues. And I'm joined the line by uh, Julio Zelaya, who is involved in this process. Good day. How are you? Good morning. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Good. Thank you so much. Um, so could you could you speak a bit about um, some of the issues that that the the murder of George Floyd brings up and um, some of the ways that ACLU and other community organizations in um, Minnesota have been responding to to this um, crisis? Right. Uh, George Floyd is is a person uh, a tragedy that often that, that happens often, and that it's really a, a long pattern of police violence against uh, black and brown communities. Um, specifically in the city of Minneapolis, we actually have a report that showed 
and the disproportionate impact of policing on uh, specifically black male bodies and black uh, black communities. Um, what we see is that this is this is a really difficult time for the community uh, um, that's being confronted with yet another uh, killing by the by uh, the hands of police. Um, the real you know, the, I think one of the things that we're struggling with is that these these are state-sanctioned killings in the way that they are. Um, that we we find uh, that police specifically um, fall under this uh, this doctrine of qualified immunity, which um, gives uh, a license um, to allow um, the use of force to end yeah. up in, in the killing. So it, it's very problematic, and it's a long pattern. Um, of, of violence against uh, the black and brown communities, um, not just in Minneapolis, but as we've seen in other cities like Los Angeles, like Houston, um, so nationwide, but also as we've seen, this has sparked conversations globally, knowing that this is just a, uh, uh, that, that the racism embedded in, in these systems mm-hmm. is, is not just unique to, to Minneapolis. Yeah, uh, could could you t- uh, talk a bit about the culture? I I have to be honest with you, Julio. When I've seen the American mainstream news coverage of the response of the protests to the murder of George Floyd, uh, I've been very surprised of how sympathetic it has been. Um, I mean, I'm not talking about Fox News, but all the other networks. Um, at the same time, there is a lack of reporting on the more structural issues that you've brought up. So I'm just wondering if, if, if you had any reflections on sort of that, that, that challenge, the challenge of this moment where there is a lot of sympathy being expressed from mainstream institutions, including the media, but not maybe this addressing of the more structural issues. Yeah, I I think it's different now. We, I mean, the sympathy also is, isn't new. We've we've been uh, part of the, um, we've been part of groups, organizations, uh, community that has called us out for many years, for decades. I think what's what's new now is that we have such compelling video evidence of this happening that maybe it not been as available as it is today with uh, ubiquitous as, as a cell phone video can be as ubiquitous as, as a handheld device like a phone is, um, you know, we, we these are going to be more uh, seen by, by the public more often. And though, you know, for years we have seen red police, police report received, you know, I myself have received many, um, many uh, accounts uh, on video uh, that, that these are, that, that this is it, it looks very similar to what George Floyd had, had um, what happened to Mr. George Floyd, and so I think the I think the visceral reaction right now that we're seeing is is also compiled with just the 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 ability to see this happen, right? And mm-hmm. I think people are are moved by it in a way that uh, you know reading a a legal complaint doesn't, or hearing the stories doesn't. Um, so prose and, and even spoken word aren't able to do this, but when people actually see for eight minutes um, someone lose their life, it moves somebody, right? Um, mm-hmm. okay. Julio, uh, I'm sure you've been involved in community issues for a long time um, in Minnesota. 
I'm just wondering um, if you could speak about some images or actions that you've seen over recent days that have inspired you, that you feel are historic. I mean, that's a cliche word, but it is a very important moment. I'm just wondering if there's any sort of moments that you think will continue to resonate for you, but also for other community organizers in Minnesota. Right. Um, well, I think, you know, it's, if we were all, if we go in the realm of even the realm of uh, the, the fires and destruction that has happened in, in on places like Lake street or Minneapolis, uh, videos that you've probably seen and the public has seen, um, those are those are places of community. Those are places of uh, of strong strong ties for for people living in in the cities. And so, the community, the the unity that I've, that these neighborhoods have shown, um, and the ability to clean up and be able to raise funds for um, for for these areas has been really incredible. And also, and I think my being that I exist uh, in in doing work in rural Minnesota, where these same problems are being seen, uh, except with smaller departments. You know, we've had manifestations, protests, um, demonstrations wow. around small towns that have attracted, you know, hundreds of people in in towns that have only maybe 5,000 people. Wow. Um, I'll highlight that in St. Peter, Minnesota, there was a there was a protest that. Uh, attracted around 500 people on a busy highway and the you know you heard all kinds of vehicles honks um a lot of them coming from uh truckers right just uh um, this this community of, of people who drive uh who drive by these communities and showing the support uh, and so you know i think these even not just not just exclusive to um minneapolis um, every place that has a police station, every place that has a sheriff's department, is is engaging in these conversations, and that's unlike. And I've been working on the in this for years, and the outpouring of of, of questioning, you know, this this uh, this uh, uh, questions of who is who are the police officers that work in my community, who is the elected sheriff, um, who is my county attorney, who uh, dictates um, how people will punished, who will be punished. Um, it, it is uh, uh, there is a space for questioning and uh, a space for curiosity that hasn't existed, and I think it's coming from this uh, the, this place of, of frustration and really trying to uh, go back to the ideas of justice that were totally um, shook uh, shooken by uh, seeing the video on the death of George Floyd. You know, in response to these moments in recent years, people have really just responded to uh, these crises. There's uh, protests, you know, often they're organized through social media. But underneath this process, um, there is a lot of role that long-term institutions are playing, like the ACLU, in providing some institutional support. So I'm just wondering just for, you know, maybe people younger or even pre-millennial people who are watching what's happening, if, if you could share anything about the importance of progressive institutions working in collaboration with these sort of moments of uprising. Right. Uh, these uh, organizations like the NAACP and various other organizations that have been, you know, locally, uh, 
advocating for changes. Uh, you know, the, the, the changes of, for example, bringing about the um, bringing about the, the Attorney General Keith Ellison to be the lead prosecutor on this case wasn't done just in a vacuum of the governor of Governor Waltz choosing to do this. Over a hundred thousand calls were made to the governor's office um, and the AG and the AG's office, the Attorney General's office, for this to happen. Right? Yeah. Could you um, could you break that down just a little bit? Thank you. So the ACLU made a call uh, made a call for action so that the um, because the governor has the ability to in special circumstances bring about uh, bring the lead. Uh, bring criminal charges by way of appointing the uh, attorney general, okay. uh, Keith Ellison, in this case, to become the lead uh, the lead prosecutor. Often, uh, these cases that are happening in the county are picked up by the local county attorney or district attorney, and they're called in some places. Um, but the district, uh, but the district attorney or county attorney, ha- they have um, there, there's problematic issues, systemic issues in that. The county attorney often has to remain in good standing with the police in order to do many points of his job in order to prosecute the other witnesses. And so the the nature of his job doesn't necessarily allow for independence from the police department. So this, as you can imagine, this becomes really this becomes really problematic when uh, a county attorney is then charged or in charge of um, bringing about charges for. For the for the police, um, and so what what the governor had the ability to do and did was to appoint the attorney general, which is an elected statewide position. Now, what this really does is to say this is an important this is important, and we're going to have an independent investigation and an independent prosecutor, and this is why we'll have the the, the AG um, lead this prosecution. Mm-hmm. A hundred thousand calls were made to uh, um, to the governor's office, and this came from calls from not just the the though the ACLU had that many calls, other um, other other people, other organizations made that same petition, and that showed an overwhelming support um, and um, for for that essentially that, that political move. Um, telling the governor that if you, this is the type of justice that Minnesota wants. And that wasn't just done by the ACLU. This was done by a cross-section of other organizations, local organizations, who have also sung in harmony with the ACLU about the systems changes that needs to happen in not only Minneapolis, but nationwide. And so uh, it's really, uh, it, it really comes down to people saying, what they believe is justice. And in this case, it was to prosecute the four officers and bring about charges by way of making uh, the county, the attorney general, the lead prosecutor. Julio, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. Great. Yeah, thanks. No, thanks, you. That was an exchange with a community organizer who works with the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union in Minnesota, Julio Zelaya. Um, and um, I'd really encourage you to check out the page of ACLU Minnesota for more information. So this has been an edition of Free City Radio, um, sharing voices on the ground in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, who have been organizing for justice in the case of George Floyd. Um, This uh, broadcast, uh, this podcast is being shared 
uh, in the context of the Black Lives Matter movement that has been taking the streets uh, across the world in the last weeks. And um, as a contribution, I wanted to uh, highlight some uh, voices uh, organizing for justice on the ground in Minnesota um, in the community uh, close to where the killing of George Floyd took place. Um, thanks for tuning into Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. Uh, we broadcast every Wednesday on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal on Community Radio, uh, CKUT.ca, but we're also now, of course, here podcasting. And uh, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcast. Um, if you like our show, please give us a rating um, and subscribe. Tell your friends. Um, freecityradio.org, soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. And of course, find us on all the other social media platforms. Uh, if you want to reach me about anything, I'm uh, Stefan Christoph. I'm at S-T-E-F-A-N dot C-H-R-I-S-T-O-F-F at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Spirodon. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, to go out, I'm going to play a piece by Nubian musician Ali Hassan Kuban.
Obrigado.